0: Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, It's glad to hear uh, from Tim and from Ken today, and that Tim is going to have this amazing time away on his sabbatical. And uh, what a great, a great thing for us to make sure that we are taking rest in this crazy season. So as I ask, how are you? Lately, I've been hearing more of not necessarily how are you doing, but how are you coping? (laughs) This season that we're in, the other day, I was really excited to hear that we were in code red, you know, not code purple. Uh, Just that hope that we're moving back towards um, a place where we can uh, gather again and get on with our lives in ways that we desire. Uh, but in this season of coping, you know, I've come to realize the ways that I've been coping in this season. And part of that for me is actually um really organizing things, um, going back through boxes, cleaning things out. It's something that I can control that I feel like I have say over. Uh and in that process it's been pretty amazing the things that I have um found in those boxes and taken out. You know, some of them I've I've gotten rid of, right? which is great. Uh, Some of the things that I found, I look at them and then really repackage them. They get put into a new box with a new label and back into the closet. You know, it's quite amazing how many things that we store up in this life uh, for various reasons, right? But uh, we store them up. We control them. We put them away, make them nice and neat. But it reminds me of the scripture that we are to store up our treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19, 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm glad that we get to be together today online uh, so that we can take time to dive in to God's word, to the things that matter that are eternal. We're in our fourth week of our series, Conversations with Jesus. You know, Ray introduced us to the main focus of the Gospel of John, that we may believe that Jesus is the word of God. He is God who came to dwell with us in the containment of his creation, the flesh. He was fully God. He is fully man together in Jesus Christ among us. Doug walked us through Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus. He was a Pharisee who came in secret at night to talk to Jesus. And their conversation went into what is being born again? Not the natural way, but of the spirit. And Jesus shared of God's Great love, the father who gave his only son to us, to this world that people may believe and be reborn through him into eternal life. And last week, Sam brought us to the well and to the Samaritan woman who was an outcast and who was hiding from the truth of her own life, but also hiding from those around her. And she had to impart knowledge, not the fullness, but impart knowledge of the truth of God. But when she faced the truth of Jesus Christ, she responded in belief. And she ended up becoming a truth teller in her community for the one who is truth. From, that was chapter four. And from there we go on and we see that Jesus uh, healed an official son. We see miracle again of a crippled man at 30, who was crippled for 38 years, being healed by the pool of water on the Sabbath. And then Jesus comes in chapter, five, chapter 6. He comes in to a place where there are 5,000 people hungry. And he miraculously feeds them with only five barley loaves, which is the, lo- the bread of the poor and two small fish. From there, he walks on water as he's coming to his disciples, as they are crossing over to the shore, to their destination, Capernaum. And Jesus, as soon as he gets up and gets into that boat with them, they arrive at the place of their destination. You know, Ray is hosting a series uh, in the midst of this, actually on Sunday mornings on Zoom, going through the seven miracles in the Gospel of John. I encourage you to join into that group. If there are things in the Gospel that you are reading about and the miracles that you want to understand and dive into the meaning of those and what Jesus is doing, check them out. You can find that on our website. I believe today, actually, Ray is lined up. He's talking about the miracle of the 5,000 today. On the timeline of where we're at in uh, John chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 22 through 71 today. In this timeline, the Passover is approaching. Now this is one year before the Last Supper, that Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the eve of the cross. You know, and many in the crowd that are here in, in this passage could be pilgrims coming to celebrate this feast, the Passover feast. And remember at this time, the jews are underneath the roman rule right and they're in submission to them and in these times of celebration it would bring to the forefront even to the common person's mind the longing and the seeking for the promised messiah the one who's spoken about in deuteronomy 18:15 it says that he will be a prophet like moses It says the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me this is moses speaking from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. So after the feeding of the five thousand in the first part of chapter six, this crowd responds intensely, with more more intense, more reactivity than anything we've ever seen with the other miracles that Jesus did up until this point. In John six, verse fourteen and fifteen, it says. Now, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So their overall view of the Messiah that they were waiting for, was very much of a political position, someone that would uh, save them from the, these earthly uh, suppression, uh, the earthly rule. Um, they were looking for, they didn't quite know fully who the Messiah was going to be, but they had this idea, and they were looking for him to fill a specific role in their society. And they were about to take Jesus by force after this miracle defeating feeding and make him king. So they were very, it was a self but nationally focused uh, mission of the people. But Jesus' mission goes way beyond that. Before we dive into the rest of this, I want to pray together. Ask the Lord to meet us here, to open up our understanding to his word. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us, that you gave your son Lord Jesus, that you dwelled in the flesh so that you could be seen. We thank you for what you did for us to free us. And we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit so that we could have understanding of spiritual things. We ask for you to open up your word for us today, that we would hear from you And that we would understand, not just with our minds, but understand in our spirit and have a response and belief to your words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we come to a place where the crowd, uh, they're following after Jesus. The uh, disciples have arrived at the shore of Capernaum, and the people have come and they came to seek Jesus. And when they found him, this is verse 25, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now the people that came to seek him in the wilderness when he fed them, the 5,000, they came seeking him because the signs that they saw. And here he's saying, you are not here for that reason. You are healed because you ate and you got your fill. But Jesus did not answer their question, really. Right? First, he addresses their motive for seeking them, for seeking him. He's pointing something out here to them. We're going to go to verse 27. It says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the son, which the son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So he's pointing it out right away. Look, this physical bread, right? Temporal, right? Gets eaten, we digest it, disposed out of us. When it's stored up, it rots, it decays. Jesus is offering them something greater. In Matthew 6, we're reminded, verse 25 tells us not to be anxious about our life, what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna drink, what we're gonna wear, right? It goes down in verse 31 and 33, it says that the Heavenly Father, He already knows that we need those things. You know, Jesus already fed the crowd. God knows that we need food. But he says that we are first to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things are going to be added onto us. So God is putting things in perspective. Jesus is saying, don't don't seek these earthly things. God knows you need them. Seek the things of God, of God himself first, the kingdom of God. It says, verse 33. I'm going to repeat that for you. Matthew. 633, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Don't put these temporal things first. This is a quote from A.W. Tozer from his book, The Dwelling Place of God. It's an excellent book. I'm going through reading it right now. And he says, from man's standpoint, the most tragic loss suffered in the fall was the vacating of the inner sanctum by the spirit of God. You see, we all have this place of hunger inside of us. And it's, it's a place where God belongs. Jesus is bringing that spotlight to their greatest emptiness. Not an emptiness in their stomach, but an emptiness in their spirit. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Okay. They're saying, so what do we do, what work do we do for this food that never runs out? What is it that we do? Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They're questions and seeking what they want from Jesus. It's not panning out. He is not conforming to the demands that they have. But they are asking for this miracle food that never runs out. They want to know how to get it. Jesus, he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to fit into your box. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Your job is to believe In him who the father has sent. They say to him, verse 30. So they say to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. In a sense, this crowd is starting to say, you know what, Jesus? All right, earn our following. Earn our belief. We demand from you another sign. What are you going to do so that we believe in you? And then they go and they use scripture and they say, hey, our fathers, right, in the wilderness, they got manna. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now remember the backstory. This crowd is there because they ate and they had their fill. Okay, this is not a humbly seeking after God for the words of life. This is a, let us get what we want from you. They're trying to control this, negotiate with him, bargain with Jesus. They want their comfort filled, their security, their appetite quenched. When you do that, then Jesus, then we'll follow you. Then we'll believe when you fit into our box. The reality is, God does not fit into any box, no matter what size, shape, or how big we make it. This is God eternal, the living God, the God of the universe. He can't fit into any box that man makes. Now we may read this, we may think, man, this is so foolish. This argument they have, this is how silly is this that they're asking this of Jesus after everything is done. But yet I want to challenge us that this may not be far from some of our own experiences at times, or maybe we're there now. You know, going through all those boxes for me, it uh, was great. Stepping back in time, I was, uh, found some of my old journals. And I started journaling uh, pretty young, some of them when I was 12 years old. And at 12, I had an intense desire for God— um, I, I'd grown up uh, learning the stories of Jesus and, you know, hearing, hearing these great things. Um, my understanding was limited. And this Jesus Christianity didn't fit with what I saw was needed for this box I had in my life of who God was. And I actually completely rejected Christianity. Walked away. And I went looking for a God who fit into the alignment of what, what I could understand, that fit into the box that I wanted for my freedom in life. Really, it was at the whim of, of my will. I wanted God to meet me at my level. You know, I created this box, and I went around looking for, for God or gods to fill it. And I'd find a piece here and put it in, find a piece here. And when I needed something spiritual, I, w- I would take a piece out. And then I would put it back in, and I had control, or so I thought. I consider myself a spiritual person at the time, but really, it was very—it was self-centered. It was a self-spirituality. It was not centered on a living God who was outside of my control. And and I thought I understood part of God, but it, it was false. Or at very best, it was incomplete. My understanding of God was extremely incomplete. You know, humbly seeking God is the doorway to open us up to really be able to understand his word. You know, I stayed in that place until I got to a point where something happened that made me get humble. To be able to really hear the words of scripture and to not take immediate offense to them. Now, I share this with you because I also want you to ask yourself the same question. You know, do you have a box that you're trying to fit Jesus into? Are you repackaging him? Are you trying to make him comfortable, agreeable, understandable, controllable? You know, is he your your call box that you pick up the phone when you have a demand that you want him to fill? Are you bargaining with him? Maybe even manipulating his word to justify your actions or an attempt to get what you want. You know, I know that these are tough questions, and some of us may say, hey, I believe. I believe. Yes, I know. But even if there are slivers of these things inside of us, it is dangerous, and, and it festers, and it can infect our entire self. So realize we are not in control of truth, not when it comes to the things of God. Okay, so I went deep a little bit there, but I want, I want you to think about that. Let that resonate in you. So Jesus said to them, we're back in uh, chapter 6, verse 32. Truly, truly, and when Jesus says truly, truly, we know he has the words of truth, but he's truly, truly, now listen up. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. It gives life to the world. Now the crowd, they hear this, and they're still pursuing their agenda. they're like, sir, give us this bread always. They're like, this is what we want. We want this bread of heaven. Give it to us always. Now this may remind you of the woman at the well. She had a similar response when Jesus was talking about belief and the water welling up inside to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. In a sense, she's saying, Sir, give me this water always. Jesus' answer, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. So there's a contrast here between these people with Jesus asking these questions now and the woman at the well. The woman at the well, when he said to her, in talking about the Messiah, when he said, I who speak to you am he, meaning the Messiah, she believed. That was her response. But not here. He knows in their hearts they they are unbelieving. They do not believe. They're not here with a motive of truly seeking out Jesus. They're here with a motive of seeking out what they can gain. He's pointing out their deeper issue. The lack of belief. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out. For I come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up. On the last day, for eternity. This is life not just here in this world, not just now, but eternity. Verse 40 For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, Jesus came down from heaven. He says, I, for I have come down from heaven to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus had come down from heaven. He's using these words here and they were saying that they wanted the bread that was sent down from heaven that, that Moses and the people experienced in the wilderness. That manna that was mentioned earlier, was a foreshadowing of Jesus's coming And it's not by coincidence that he's using this terminology for these people who are coming to celebrate a Passover. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Verse 41. So the Jews, they grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? Now, their, their conversation with Jesus just took a turn. You know, they're no longer asking him, give us bread, give us bread, give us bread. Now they're taking offense. You say you come down from heaven? You're making yourself equal with God? What, what are you? Who are you? What's really funny to me is that the manna in the wilderness, when it's translated, it means, what is it? This bread that, that they ate, their ancestors ate in the wilderness, was, set, "What is it? They didn't even know what it was. And here is Jesus, the true manna, the true bread that came down from heaven. And they're saying the same, "What is it? Who are you? Who are you?" Jesus, He is not playing into their game. He's about doing the will of the Father. Jesus answered them, "Do not grumble amongst yourselves." No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is the Father, take note of that, it is the Father who draws us in to belief by his Spirit. Jesus now goes and uses the scripture to speak back to them. He says, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Jesus has seen the Father. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God in one. Three persons, but together in one likeness. Unique together. John 6, 27. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he keeps repeating himself. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Back in Deuteronomy 18, 18, that we quoted from that chapter before, Jesus said, or the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever Will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. These people are using old, past, old, old Testament passages to try to prove to Jesus to get what they want from him. And Jesus is saying, I am the one that the scriptures talk about. I am he before you. Jesus, his words are our life. Not to be confined inside of a box of what we think he's supposed to look like. Not to be used to satisfy even our intellectual understanding of what is written as we study the scriptures. But to encounter the living God. His words are what bring us into understanding who he is. And our work is to believe in him. Jesus point makes it very clear, this bread they're seeking after, these temporal things. It says, verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They're dead. They're not here. This bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for, li- for the life of the world is my flesh. He's saying, my flesh. I am the, what is it? I am the bread that came down he- from heaven. It is me. And not just for your nation, but for the world. Now, his words were hard to swallow. And they're, they're hard for us today. You know, the Christian life, following after Christ and, and having our sustenance in his word that he is the words of life that we are to live, live with and, and take in and, and live this life out, live them out into the world around us. Forgiving others, this is, that's hard. Loving our enemies, that's hard. Praying for those who persecute you, yeah, that's hard. When we're asked to go one mile, to, to go an extra, to go two, that can be hard. Turning the other cheek, that's hard. I can go on. The word love itself, really, truly God's love and living out that love, that's hard. It takes sacrifice. That, that heart-shaped box of chocolates that we sometimes make love, it, that is not God. Following God and receiving his word is a tough thing for us. We are needing to digest it. The Jews, after hearing God's word, they could not digest. They didn't want it. They rejected it, wanted to spit it out of their mouth. They disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Whoa. Now obviously, cannibalism is not promoted, not accepted. This is not what he's saying in that regard in their head they're trying to figure out what in the world how can he give us his flesh but then he also says give us his blood so i mean this this means death this means jesus is saying i'm gonna die for you i'm not just giving myself over here in front of you or a piece of my flesh i'm giving it all i'm giving my entire life for you Now, they didn't have the cross yet. they They didn't understand, although the Old Testament talked about the cross and talked about the redemption, the atonement of sin, the blood of the lamb that was given, the sacrifices that were given. That stuff is in the Old Testament, but they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't have the cross yet. They didn't understand that. And maybe some of us even today, maybe we're wrestling with really understanding the cross. Why did Jesus have to give us flesh and blood? I encourage you, go to Hebrews, especially chapter 9, verse 11 through 28. Read about the redemption that we have through the blood of Christ. And also reach out to someone that you see preaching here, to a teacher, a pastor, an elder. We would love to go deeper in that conversation so that you understand the cross a beautiful cross. You know, over the years, I've had quite a few conversations about Jesus, and some of the people, they actually get to a point where they tell me, just leave the cross out. It's too gruesome. It's too hard to understand. It's too hard to look at. They would say things to me like, talk about Jesus. Talk about eternal life. Pray for me. Tell me the good news. But the cross, leave it out. I don't want to hear about that, and I don't want my kids being exposed to that. Just the living Jesus. Well, the living Jesus, it's great, yes. I'll tell you about the living Jesus. But our life, our eternal life, the good news for us in the resurrected Jesus, that doesn't happen without the cross. So I can't tell you about the living Jesus without telling you about the cross. Verse 57 And the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So this conversation is taking place as they go, and they're moving their way to the synagogue. Now remember... These people here, this, they were coming to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was about the blood of the lamb that was slain and the blood was put over their doorposts so that in their ancestors' homes that death when it passed would pass over them. And that night they ate of the flesh of the, of the lamb whose blood was on the doorpost. They ate of that flesh. And the next morning they had the energy and they were sustained for them actually exiting out of Egypt, coming out of bondage, out of slavery into a place where God was going to bring them into a promised land. And in that place in the wilderness, he miraculously provided for them, yes, manna from heaven, but he also taught them who he was. He spoke to them about his law. He gave him his word, His words of life in love. For their sake, he had mercy on them. He put into a place of an atonement for their sins until the final atonement through Jesus Christ would come. And they, as they came into the promised land, they still waited on the Messiah for the ultimate sacrifice to be offered for them. God made a covenant with his people and he kept it. And here before God's people now, in this time, as they're preparing for the Passover, is the true Passover lamb right before them. Jesus is saying these things in the synagogue for others to hear, not just this crowd that followed seeking bread, but for others to hear and discern. Jesus is the one whose blood makes the eternal death pass over us for those who receive him. It is his flesh that was broken and given for us that we could be free from the bondage of sin and death and have eternal life and know God that we would depend on him alone, that we would feed on him and his word and his sustenance for our life, not just here, but eternal. And here is the God who kept his covenant with them, standing before them. And one year later, he would be standing, actually not standing, he would be hanging before them on a cross, giving his flesh and his blood for them. Now the crowd, they were done asking questions at this point. His words were too hard. That conversation with Jesus, it was over. Jesus was canceled. The outcome, I said, this is too hard. Verse 60, many of his disciples heard it and they said, this is too hard. The scene, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? This is hard for you to understand my death. It's going to be hard for you to believe my resurrection. In this, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For the Jews knew... For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that one can come, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back. They no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, his intimate close, do you want to go away also? Jesus' words are sometimes really hard for us in our life. You know, we realize that it's not God that we can fit into a box, but we actually find ourselves that so we are the ones inside of that box, a box of unbelief, a box of, of realizing we are trapped in our own understanding, our own limitations. And God wants to come, and, and he offers us life to open up that box, that we would come in to faith and belief in him, that we would truly be free. But it takes a surrender, a holy surrender. Jesus here, he's a personal, our personal God. And this question here it's a vulnerable question. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Church, may we remain. May we make that decision, a conviction in our heart. That we remain with him even when we don't understand. Even when his teachings are hard. We're going to wrestle, yes, and that's okay. But maybe we wrestle with him. Jesus says, it's those of you that hear my words and does them. It is he who loves me. He says, when you love me, we come. And God himself comes and makes his home with us. Jesus answered them, "Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil?" He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, or for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus, he's not about getting everybody to follow him. He's not going to bend and do the will of people just to get to prove to them that he has earned their following. He has earned our following because of the cross. And our job is to take these things and to wrestle with him and to to cry out to him. When I was in my box, I cried out to the living God, show me your face. I want to believe. Help me. And God, I realized what he did is he took me in that box and he laid me at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus opened up my eyes to see him, my heart to love him. And I get to see him face to face. And I live now in the freedom of that belief, not because I tried to fit God in my box to get him to conform to my demands, but because he has freed me to live in him. And then in that, he says, he comes now and lives in me. The very thing that I sought after and wanted so desperately, recognizing that I had an emptiness in my spirit, through all of that and coming to surrender, he did his work. He was faithful for what the father called him to do for my life, for your life. May we be faithful to do the work he has called us to do to know Him, and to believe in Him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that you are patient with us as we wrestle with the hard things. We thank you that you come to give us life. May we surrender ourselves to you May we come to a humble place knowing we need you, that we are broken and sinners and separated from you. And may we even give in our place of faith, would we give you continued access to all of us in our redemption of our entire life in you. As we walk it out here, God, and we thank you for the eternal life that we have forever with you. Help us, Father, to speak your words, to be filled with you, to speak your truth, Lord, to take you in and to to live you out in this world who also desperately needs you and has the same hunger in their spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to go into a time of communion. And if you would like a passage to read, uh, by yourself or with your family your microcommunity 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 26 for i have received from the lord what i also deliver to you that the lord jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way Also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.